You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 48 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I'm not in the kitchen studio this week uh, and neither is Matt, are no. you Matt? No, no, no. no. He, he wouldn't let me uh, have the keys, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it is. I'm, uh, I'm not allowed anywhere near the house when he's out. <laughs> oh, you are family, Mr Smith, you are family. Anyhow, I am uh, currently sitting on a balcony uh, in my hotel room in Lanzarote, uh, a place where Matt was not so many weeks ago. Indeed, yeah. So the, the tables have turned now, um, I'm on holiday now, and uh, we are here to record episode 48. There are many who would argue you're always on holiday, Mr. Carlos. <laughs> yeah, well, well okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm pleased to say that I'm sitting here in uh, shorts and a t-shirt, um, although the weather has been... Um, difficult over the last few days um it's got kind of a mixed bag really um, yeah. but we haven't had any rain apart from a few spits just before we started recording um but uh no it's uh it's starting to warm up a bit again now so uh it's still better than being in the freezing sub-zero temperatures of the uk well i'm in the uh the conservatory studio today um which uh, we recorded the other show uh from a few weeks back and i'm delighted to say that the weather conditions haven't changed in any way from when we did it before so again this could sh- this show could well end up in my case being an alfresco broadcast all also uh, as the roof comes off the conservatory but uh, we'll uh, keep our fingers and toes crossed that that doesn't happen obviously <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I, I should be okay here on the on the balcony. Yeah, all right. Actually, exactly, I'll call yeah. it a balcony. We're on the ground floor, but <laughs> oh, oh. I, sp- I suppose it's a balcony. Yeah. We'll call it a balcony for the purposes of the okay. podcast. We'll call it a balcony. <laughs> anyway, so so anyway, so so how, how's your week been, Matt? Been good? Uh, well, a lot, a lot, uh, not not as good as yours. I, I I'm hoping. Um, it's been cold. It's been wet. We've been having minus temperatures most mornings. I've had to de-ice the coach every single day so far. Um, oh. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, we've had uh, uh, very icy roads. Uh, incredibly te- treacherous conditions. Uh, certainly for driving large twelve and a half ton vehicles in. Certainly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, oh, you'd, you'd I love it here. There's coaches everywhere. Yeah, coaches oh, no, everywhere. I know, I know. They're, they're really big on the old Irizars out there. They they love the Irizars yes. out there. So you see more of those than anything else. But uh, anyway, this is a plane-related uh, podcast, yeah. and oh, not a yes. coach oh, one. Yeah. So, so on on message so, again, please, Carl. On message. <laughs> so, um, so um, I'm pleased to say that the hotel that we're staying in is literally a, and I mean this by a stone's throw away from. Uh, well, runway zero three at uh, Arasif Airport in Lanzarote. Yeah, yeah. You really have been in your element this week, haven't you? I have been. Yeah. Those of you who uh, follow us on Facebook will obviously have seen the videos that I've been putting on there this week um, <laughs> of the uh, of the aircraft I've been watching flying over. And a special treat this morning I had uh, on uh, our usual walk, morning walk down to the uh, to the airport was the uh, the Norwegian. Uh, air shuttle or norwegian seven three seven eight hundred and um I put the picture of this on on our facebook page yeah, um, yeah. for those of you who sent it on there, but the special thing about the aircraft uh, itself was that this particular aircraft in question was the six thousandth boeing 
737 off the wow. production plant uh, in America. So, uh, Gosh. put the picture on Facebook of that, and uh, it was quite. It's, it's quite good. It's, it's got the um, on the tail. You've probably seen this one, Matt. Yeah. But on the uh, on the tail of the aircraft, it's got uh, six thousandth seven three seven on the tail. Oh, cool. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. I like all the airlines do it now. Um, I think uh, and Malaysia have got um, uh, a, a A380, I think it was, which is a, a sort of a, a, a tenth or the hundredth or something like that yeah. aircraft. So a lot of airlines do it when they um, when they sort of take yeah, the on these thing, yeah. milestone aircraft. So that yeah. was good. And um, like I said, we've seen I've seen a loads of um, um, different airlines flying in here. Um, the biggest uh, aircraft I've seen flying in there so far has been the A321, right. which is the yeah, slightly longer version of the A320. Okay. Um, but apart from that, the usual Boeing 737-800s, Ryanair have been in here in the masses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Every day, I think, don't they? Yeah, pretty much so. Pretty yeah, much I bet, so. I bet. Um, it's an incredible. Uh, it's it, what get, got me. I, I think. I mean, I seem to remember saying at the time is you, you, you sort of land over the water. It's the weirdest experience as you come into land because you just oh, think, yeah, has he got this wrong? You know, are we about to like sort of land on the water? Has he got this? Tor- has it all gone horribly wrong? <laughs> it, it's a kind of experience like we, that. My wife was saying that it's very much like the same Mar- uh, Saint Martin. Um, the videos you see on YouTube of the aircraft coming in over the beach. At ah, Martin. yeah, 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 yeah. And um, because you can do that here, I mean, they they literally do just fly over your head. Yeah. Um, we we did get caught out yesterday afternoon on our walk back um, by uh, at uh, a departing um, A320. I didn't see the airline, but we were standing behind the the um, blast shields that are oh, at the end right. of the runway to stop the jet wash from obviously coming over on the path got the yeah. footway um, but it still manages to create quite a um, blast of sand and uh, oh, stuff no. and it was uh, it was it, for me I enjoyed it <laughs> right okay and how about the poor long suffering Gemma that is your lovely wife how, how well, did she enjoy Gem- it <laughs> Gemma's she's, she's kind of um, um, putting up with my uh, av- aviation geekery I, I can, will say I can imagine yes. very well yeah. Yes. So, uh, mental note to her: never pick that hotel ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> no, no, to be fair, the, ho- the hotel's fantastic. I, I'd it's pick it. it again, but, oh, but it, really? is, it just happened to be that close to the airport. Yeah. So. Oh, no. Anyway, I but don't know. Uh, right, we, we better kick off the show then, haven't we? We had. Yes. Episode Are you ready then? Let's get some. Uh, let's see if yes. I can work all this this jiggery pokery out at this <laughs> end. And uh, and uh, are you ready to do the news, Mister Carl? Yes, so as uh, we always do, then we're going to kick off uh, this week with the news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I am, yeah. Ten stories to do this week, so brace yourselves. Here we go. So, kicking off this week's news stories, then uh, the first one, which is dominating the news and has been for a few days now, yeah, is on the is Flight awful, Global it? site. It is, yeah, it's uh, regarding the Trans Asia um, flight GE two three five, the ATR seventy two dash six hundred. I mean, some shocking footage that originally came out at first, oh, yeah. uh, Matt, of yeah, the yeah, dash yeah. cam. Oh, it's and, insane, isn't um, it? It's, it was. I mean, the, the the you know the actual video you saw the aircraft coming down 
between buildings. Uh, almost. Weird. I, the the um, clip that I actually saw, as I say, I think it was on. I, I think Simon had posted uh, posted it from ITV News, I think, and it had gone. Mm. Um, it was literally sort of going over the bridge, like, but you could see a wing to tip. You do not. It was sort of yeah, on its side yeah. as it came up. Really, yeah. really not good. And I think it cla- clipped a sort of taxi as it went over the bridge, and that it oh, did, it's yeah. just terrible. Um, anyway, terrible. if if you if you want to look it up, as I say, uh, the link is already on um, our Facebook page, but. Uh, it, it's uh, it's terrible. It's um, yeah, not good. So Taiwan's uh, accident investigators have taken the unusual step of publishing part of the flight data recorder printout for the crashed ATR seventy two almost as soon as it was available to them as well, which is unusual because they mm. tend to do a kind of investigation first. First, yeah. But there, um, there are no rules or protocols saying that they must do so and none saying that they should not. The printout they release concerns only the data for the engines as um, its uh, graphic lines describing the state of 12 different engine parameters against a timeline with uh, barometric uh, altitude also displayed. The graphs provide uh, numerical values for some of the parameters. Others just show whether a switch is on or off, like the fuel shutoff valve, for example. Mm. The data tells the investigators in great deal ta- uh, detail what happened, but still not um, exactly at this stage why it happened. The graph shows that the crew certainly did suffer an engine flame out after they took off, and they did report um, in a mayday to uh, air traffic control as well. The uh, turbine temperature uh, for number two engine, the right-hand engine, um, dropped and power was lost and the propeller auto-feathered. But then, in a stressful situation prevailing from that point, the crew carried out a shutdown drill for the working engine, uh, which uh, stopped that engine too. Why would the investigator release this information so soon without knowing the cause? Well, we don't know, but uh, you know, it's food for thought for us mm. anyway. Um, certainly is. The investigators knew the information about this uh, critical mistake would soon be released, and it looks uh, like they believed it would be better to publish the cold data which showed what occurred, rather than making a statement. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, this 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 hails back. Take your mind back a few years now, Matt. Um, yeah. To oh, I think it was nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine. The British Midland, uh, the British Midland seven three seven that uh, came down. Just before the runway at Kegworth. Oh right. Uh, many, years, many years ago. Okay. That that was um, one of the sort of the first of the kind of uh, next generation seven three sevens. That was a four hundred series. That one. Right. And uh, the same similar similar thing happened here. You know, the the pilots had a had, they had an engine fire. Yeah. And uh, shut down the engine that was performing perfectly. Oh no. Um, yeah, and uh, they um, used throttle on the engine that was okay, and that engine eventually gave up. And right. uh, as I said, that aircraft came down just before the runway right. uh, at Kegworth uh, at, uh, near the, in the UK. Yeah, but here, not, I mean, not here, with quite such catastrophic effect, though. Oh, no, there was uh, yeah. there was a terrible loss of life with that one. Oh, was well. there? Right. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a terrible loss of life, oh, and, um, and it was uh, not a great outcome, but... Um, no. Things have been put in place since then. Yeah. Procedures have been changed, but this again, this story here, you know, this shows that um, it's happened again. And this yeah. is with an air. This aircraft in question was barely two years old. Right. So, so you can't so blame the AT aircraft or anything like that. No. 
Right. Uh, I mean, the reports I've seen online do say that you know it, it definitely did suffer uh, a flame out on that engine, which right. is obviously a, a fault somewhere with the fueling system for that okay. engine. Yeah. Um, so there was an issue, but right. as the report says here in front of us, um, you know they they did shut down and close the uh, the the wrong engine. The wrong engine. Yeah. Um, and uh, the report I read online as well earlier on um, yesterday yeah. did say that as well that um, the pilots did try and restart the good engine right. again about 70 seconds before they crashed right okay well but they so basically realised what shame. had happened and, and, and then try to get the other one up and running yeah again. they tried yeah. to relight the engine trying to get it running again right. but um, it's oh it's just you know when you see when you see videos like that, it's, you yeah. know because there's not many, not a huge amount of crashes that happen where you do have such quite graphic videos yeah. of uh, yeah. Yeah. of what happens. So no, it's not. But good. hopefully I mean, they'll um, hopefully they'll find out what um, what caused this. What the, yeah, the the root cause. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, uh, and we, actually uh, we've got a segment from uh, Pilot Pip, haven't we? Uh, and he he yeah, sort of touches have, on yeah. this. Uh, on this uh, particular c- catastrophe, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think he's he's basically talking us through um, the routines involved in in why they shut down engines and that. So uh, yeah. yeah, definitely worth a listen, uh, given what's uh, recently happened. I, I think so. Uh, stay this, tuned this for that. In question, the ATR seventy two Matt is a really yeah. popular aircraft. I mean, right. I've seen loads flying in here. Right. Um, since I've been here and on Gosh. holiday and. They are a very, very popular um, aircraft indeed, the ATR. Right, okay. So, I mean, it, um, it, it, it's, I mean, there's obviously been a, a, a failure, as you say, based on the, on, on, uh, the, the stats that have been released, but uh, you, you've, you've got to almost sort of feel that there is a, probably an element of pilot error, isn't there, in the fact that the wrong engine was shut down. Um, yeah, but then I get yeah. oh, we're only speculating at this stage the, the the you know the hardcore details haven't been released yet and uh yes it may be a few years before we really do find out what what the actual root cause was. Yeah. Not good. But our thoughts obviously are with all the families and friends Indeed. affected by yeah, the accident. Everyone and, involved. Um, yeah. Let's let's hope that they can uh, definitely um find out what happened and um put it stop right this from happening in the yeah. future. Yeah. Agreed, yes. Anyway, so on to the on. next story. Yes, the next, next story. story. This is from the Liverpool Echo, and uh, the headline is Flybe begins new John Lennon Airport to Belfast route. Uh, the first flight on a new route from Liverpool John Lennon Airport. Uh, that's the, uh, is that LJLA? Um, I think is the airport code there. To John, yep. uh, to George Best, uh, Belfast City Airport, took to the skies this morning, being uh, the 2nd of February. Uh, budget airline Flybe service, which airport bosses uh, believe could generate an additional 50,000 departing passengers a year, was announced in November. It will now be operating three departures a day, Monday to Friday, and one departure on Saturdays and Sundays. This morning's uh, this morning the airport uh, tweeted pictures of staff with champagne and cake ahead of the inaugural flight, <laughs> uh, along with the message "Congratulations to Flybe on their new route for Liverpool to Belfast City. We hope all departing passengers have a great flight." Belfast 
has a well-established business and financial services sector and the new service is expected to be particularly popular with the region's business passengers. At the time of the new route's announcement, Mark Povel, Director of Air Service Development for the airport, said Flybe has been operating from Liverpool for, uh, for a number of years and we're delighted that they've committed to expanding their business from here. We know that demand for this service to Belfast City is strong and we will also look for we look to forward to continuing to look at further opportunities for Flybe to serve the Liverpool City region at what is an exciting time for both the airline and ourselves. Flybe already operates a service from uh, the John Lennon Airport to the Isle of Man. The airline's chief commercial officer, Paul uh, Simmons, added, Flybe has, over the last 12 months, undergone a significant overhaul of the business, and this has resulted in a more cost-effective, efficient and flexible operation, enabling us to increase the number of routes we can offer to better serve the travelling needs of our business and leisure customers. So it's uh, yeah, good news. Good news for Flybe and, good and the I, airport. I love this when we see all these. These we have these stories now each week where concerning yeah. these, you know, this airlines having all these brilliant new routes within the UK. I think yeah. it's fantastic. It just shows that there, there's still demand. Yeah. You know, people still want to fly. Um, even these short little hops and stuff. Yeah. And um, I'll tell you what, with the with the price of the tickets maybe coming down soon, mm, yes. um, you know, it, it could some it could work out very soon to, to be cheaper to, to fly from one end of the UK to the other. Well, I mean that that is already the case in an awful lot of cases. For example, uh, I I've been very lucky to be invited to a wedding in Scotland, and uh, I've been looking at unfortunately, um, well. M- mainly because of uh, the times involved and everything and I didn't have any time pressures and I must confess I am a bit of a a lover of travelling by train and I was looking into ways of going to and from um, here in Beckles which is where I'm based obviously to go to um, where the wedding is in Scotland and it was something ridiculous like 180 quid return or something stupid to go by train then looked uh, at Ryanair because they they do a flight to Edinburgh and um, it was, I think it was £65 return or something ridiculous like that. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, like more than half what it would cost me to go by train, which, um, so I, I think that argument is already there. It is, in a lot of cases, a lot cheaper to actually fly from one part of the country to the other, um, which is crazy given how small our island is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know yeah. when, I, when I flew from Stansted to Edinburgh yeah. uh, a few years back, and it was, I think it was something like 70 73 quid or something return yeah you know if you if you if you if you, if you got in a car and went from where we live to Edinburgh, Edinburgh oh, it would goodness, definitely cost yeah. you more than 73 pounds to get there and back oh and it ta- you'd, uh, you'd have to break it up over two days wouldn't you I mean you couldn't really do it you'd have to do sort of four or five hours and then have a break and then do the rest you know I mean it's uh, it's, a, it's a long old uh, it's a long old you know drive by car mm. yeah anyway <sighs> yes next Excellent. story yes Okay, I took the sun's just come out. I thought I'd let you know. Oh, thanks very much. Yes, it's <laughs> raining heavily here in the studio, so oh, I apologise if there's any uh, loud it's noises. It's starting to get very warm. Yeah, all starting right. to get very warm here now. Yeah, just do the Japan time story, will you? Honestly. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> so moving swiftly on then, the Japan Times news, this one then. Yep. Virgin Atlantic ends at 
Narita London flights after 25 years. Oh, no. British airline Virgin Atlantic Airways Limited flew its final flight from Tokyo Narita to London Heathrow Airport on Sunday, which just Sunday just gone. That was the second, right? The first, first yeah. Sunday, uh, ending 25 years of service. The airline is pulling the plug on Narita to London as it shakes up its route map worldwide. Its Tokyo office also ended operations on the same day. Virgin Atlantic established a brand in Japan in 1988 and began flying to Narita from London's Gatwick Airport in May 1989. Air travel enthusiasts gathered at a check-in counter at Narita Airport on Sunday to take photographs while staff distributed stickers bearing the words of gratitude for customers supporting during its years of operation in Japan. Masakuzu Chio, 41, said, I became interested in aeroplanes in general after seeing Virgin Atlantic aircraft 13 years ago. The colour was so cool. Oh, I agree with him there. Really? Yeah. yeah. So this story then, uh, end of an era then, really, I suppose... Um, so it just let, l- Virg- lack of Virg- interest, maybe? Kind of, I think Virgin just had a bit of a shake-up. Right. You know, they're, they're, they are putting new routes on, and they're obviously upgrading their fleet as we've talked about before with the introduction of the um, 787 uh, Dreamliner as mm. well yeah. I think they're, they're I think like you said I think they're, they're just seeing which routes are the most viable most profitable yeah uh, most profitable yeah mm. definitely no, a um, bit of a shame but, uh, but I agree with the, the chap there that, that I think Virgin has got one of the one of my favourite uh, air, aircraft liveries I think on yeah yeah well, he, he's or paint not. He, job. He's not frightened of doing a bit of customer research, is he? I mean, let's let's be honest. Branson is not stupid, is he? I mean, he knows he knows where where to spend the money, basically, to to sort of you know for maximum impact. Essentially, he, he's. I mean, he's a clever man, isn't he? He is. He is. Yeah. So moving okay. on to yeah. our next the, story. This is uh, with the Daily Mirror uh, and. Uh, We'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll get Carlos to put this actually on, on, on the Facebook page um, because there's a fantastic um, time-lapse video uh, as part of this um, with uh, as uh, EasyJet redecorates its fleet. So uh, it's low-cost, air, uh, low-cost carrier ditches the dot-com and splashes out on more orange in the first livery change since 1998. Now, that's easy on the eye. EasyJet has unveiled a distinctive new aircraft livery um, uh, to mark its 20-year anniversary, and they've released this time-lapse video of the first plane getting its makeover. It's the first time the lo- the look of the low-cost air- airline's iconic orange and white fleet has been changed since EasyJet.com replaced the call center number on the fuselage back in 1998. The main changes see the trademark orange paint extended uh, from the tail fin to the fuselage to create space for a bigger logo. Uh, a new orange stripe introduced onto the fuselage and the dot com has been removed. All new EasyJet aircraft de- deliveries from April will get the new look as uh, it has 197 Airbus. Uh, start that again. It has 197 <laughs> Airbus A320s on order, the majority of which will replace the older Airbus A319s uh, currently in the fleet. 
Um, younger planes in the fleet will have the new livery applied when they're scheduled to be replanted, typically every six years. The carrier expects 29 aircraft to be flying with the new look by the end of 2015, and 50% of the fleet will sport the new livery by the end of 2017. It takes around seven days on average for a specialist team to repaint an, uh, an aeroplane. Uh, the first plane wow. with the new livery is now on the route from Gatwick to Innsbruck. EasyJet commercial director Peter Duffy said EasyJet's aircraft livery is one of the most recognised in aviation. As we approach our 20th uh, birthday in November, we felt a refreshed livery would complement the many changes already being made to EasyJet, including allocated seating, transparent prices, flexible tickets and our award-winning mobile app. Now, I have to say the mobile app is uh, something that uh, I've been very impressed with and I noticed that Ryanair is actually copying... um, that, that 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 same thing. Well, they well they were one of the first people to enable you to get your boarding pass uh, in your app. So, right, yeah. I, I mean, I, I not so much with EasyJet because I think they give you two weeks. You can actually get your boarding pass a couple of weeks in advance. Um, but Ryanair certainly, when we came to where you are now, when myself and my mum came to uh, Lanzarote, our experience, our, our problem was that we could get our boarding pass for this end um, to, to to go from, in our case, Luton. To, to Lanzarote uh, but uh, we couldn't do the return boarding pass uh, before we left and I must admit I was a bit worried about you know what if I can't get find somewhere in the hotel to print it off and then of course I, just, I stumbled across um, the app and uh, you know mm. I, they, they I, have, are... I have to say I I I like I like the new colour I like the new uh, the new design new logo design I yeah. really do it's, um, it's a more, I think more it's... minimalist almost isn't it yeah, it's. I mean, they've got rid of the dot com yeah. off the, um, for the fuselage, and I yeah. just, I don't know. I mean, EasyJet is such a huge brand now. Anyway, I mean, yeah. you don't yeah. need to advertise no. the fact that you're a dot com because yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if you don't know about EasyJet, then where have you been for the last well, yeah. years? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But on on the actual uh, story that that me and Matt have just read, there is at the bottom of the story a um, do you like the new EasyJet? paint job ah. tick uh, box uh, I've just ticked that box myself Have I've you? ticked yes right. okay. and uh, and it gives you the current uh, votes um, for the for percentage wise off the site and so far wow uh, eight, yeah. 82% have said yes and 18% have said no to the new paint job I mean the dot com is is not required as you say really i mean let's most people um when they open their web browser, they start at a search point, so they start at Google or they start mm, at Yahoo yeah. or whichever is your chosen um uh, search engine and uh, most people don't actually type in the actual address, do you I mean most people literally type in um easyjet and then hit enter uh, and then that'll yeah. so so it's actually you know they're much better off making sure that they appear higher in in the search engine list than than anywhere else i mean I mean I'm probably one of very few people where I will still type in the entire address if I know what it is. Um, um, but then you know I, I can type at 120 words a minute or something stupid, so it's uh, it's an advantage <laughs> well, for me. I've but posted. I know I know like mum, mum like for example she doesn't she doesn't type in addresses. She literally just says right I'm looking for Ryanair or I'm looking for EasyJet. <laughs> so I mean you don't you really don't need you don't you don't need the .dot com anymore. I think it's a sensible move and it, it certainly looks a lot better, doesn't it? 
I have um, I've posted it on on our Facebook page as we've been uh, broadcast recording. Yeah. So uh, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see the yeah. uh, link to the story on there. And the, the, the time new, lap is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, the time lapse video is really really good. I watched that um, yeah. a few days ago, and uh, no, that is really really good. Just shows you how they go around or go about repainting uh, an aircraft. Yeah, so, absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So next story. Yep. Moving on okay. is the BBC News, Bedford's Hertfordshire and Buckinghamshire. I think that goes, doesn't yeah. it, that one, mate? Or Beds, uh, Hearts this, and Bucks in this be, case. Beds, <laughs> beds, Hearts and Bucks, that's yeah. it, yeah. Um, I'm sure, so I'm sure story... there must be a euphemism in there somewhere if, if we want to look hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dear BBC. <laughs> dear BBC. Why, um, oh, why, this... oh, why? Uh, <laughs> oh, it's turned into points of view all of a sudden, hasn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, the sun's sun's coming out a bit more. Yeah, oh, right. right. And oh, so, dear. moving moving on. <laughs> so, this story is regarding the airport which I flew out from um, and me. last week, nearly a week ago, yeah. London Luton Airport, and uh, direct flights from uh, the London Luton are set to resume in April after a break of seven years. Wow. A business class only service from London Luton to New York will be operated by French airline La Compagnie, which also flies from Paris. Four times a week, flights will operate from the airport, carrying 74 passengers on a Boeing 757 aircraft. La Compagnie said it hoped to increase the number of flights to six times a week from June. Previously, the Silverjet carrier had operated services from London to New York and Dubai before folding in May 2008, less than two years after its first flight. Uh, this is, I mean, this is um, Silverjet. I can remember flying from Luton uh, quite a few years ago now and seeing the Silverjet aircraft parked here at Luton. Yeah. And they operated, um, they operated the large 767 right um the big wild body aircraft yeah. but they again they operated those in a full you know um business class only uh whole you yeah. know the whole yeah. aircraft was business class only wow. and this this airline la compagnie has yeah. been has been it's been i think it's been going about a year now i think right I'm pretty sure these guys were sort of in the news about a year ago now yeah um and as the story says, they're going to start uh, a service similar to what Silverjet had from Luton. Fantastic. But it'll be interesting to see how popular this is, because obviously it didn't work for Silverjet. No, no. Uh, and uh, they, I mean, they but, lasted two years. But then, you know, times have moved on. People are flying more. Um, maybe the time is right. Um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they've done their research. I mean, they 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 would be. I mean, it's going to depend on price. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, do you think you could do us a small favour, Carl? Could you ask of the birds in the background to be a little <laughs> less noisy? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Yes, honestly, just, it oh. does prove that we are that well, well, we are live, hundred percent live. Yes, here. very much so. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, as I say, and I, I will ask very nicely if 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 his lordship upstairs could turn down the rain so that it's not quite so noisy in this studio as well. But anyway, <laughs> oh dear, what a lovely, so, what a lovely, lovely noise that is to hear in the background. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. nice to be here. Yeah, and I've got another right. week of this to put up with. Anyway, is, this, is the sun so, still out? <laughs> yes. Oh, great. 
So the next story then is one of Matt's uh, favourite airlines. It certainly is. Yes, this is with Travel Weekly. And the headline is Ryanair's January passengers numbers up by 1.3 million. Blimey. Ryanair flew 1.3 million more passengers in January than the same month last year, figures out today's show. The 30% rise in carrying saw the load factor jump by 12 percentage points to 83%. The low-cost carrier's rolling 12-month carryings to January grew by 8% to 87.8 million passengers. Chief Marketing Officer Kenny Jacobs attributed the performance to low affairs and its always-getting-better customer initiative. This delivery delivered stronger forward bookings and better-than-expected load factors across our significantly expanded winter schedule, he said. With our great new routes, increased frequencies and Business Plus service, Ryanair continues to deliver so much more than just the lowest fares in every market we operate in, added Jacobs. So it's uh, that's that's quite a jump, isn't it? That's brilliant. I mean... Yeah. So it's not I mean, ju- it's not be- just carrying 1.3 million passengers it's carrying 1.3 million more passengers more. than it was That's this nice. time last year for for the month of January I mean, I mean wow I mean we seem to, we seem to cover stories like this every week in the show where passenger yeah. numbers just just get more and more and more yeah. I mean, you know it just goes to show that people have got the money and ability to yeah. um, to to nip away for a but but it's also so much cheaper than it used to be. I mean, I don't think it's a oh, yeah, case of yeah. more people having more money in their pocket. It's just that people, you know, the, the airlines are, do seem to be making more of an effort to try and drive down the cost of flying. And I mean, obviously, as we covered last week, I mean, the cost of, 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 of aviation fuel dropping so dramatically is, you know, in a few months more, we're going to see, you know, I think even higher numbers. You know, I'd be interested to see what um, the the figures are going to be like for sort of March, April, May time. I mean, I think I think it's going to be a bumper year for for, for travel. Definitely, yeah, for, definitely for holiday destinations within Europe. I think it's going to be a very yeah. very busy year. Yeah, for, absolutely. Uh, for Ryanair, definitely. Yeah. yeah, no good. So, moving on yeah. to our next story. Uh, my favourite airport. Of good news here. My favourite yeah. airport this year. So Cambridge News, this one then. Stansted reveals multi-million pound expansion plan. Oh, brilliant. So Stansted Airport wants more passengers and is spending millions of pounds to attract them. This morning it announced the next phase of its airport transformation, an eight million pound upgrade on of its satellite one departure gate area. Unveiling details at the Future Travel Experience Industry Conference in central London, the airport's managing director, Andrew Harrison, outlined Manchester Airport Group's vision to transform the passenger experience. Part of a wider £260 million investment programme, this development aims to appeal to long-haul operators. Plans for the airport's new escape lounge were also unveiled a development which serves the needs of Stansa's changing passenger profile and the first lounge in the main departures area in the airport's 24-year history. Speaking at the conference, Andrew Harrison said that there are really exciting times ahead and this will be a significant turning point in the airport's history. Having successfully returned to Stansa... Uh, oh, having... Uh, <laughs> I'm catching up with you here. Having successfully returned to Stansted growth, making it once again London's fastest growing airport, we're driving forward our ambition to attract a greater mix of airlines, including long-haul connections to serve our region and the London-Stansted-Cambridge Economic Growth Corridor. 
MAG says great progress have been made in the past year with the 80 million transformation of the new terminal building and a new security area that has doubled in size opened last year. Together with uh, phase one of the new departure lounge entered via the biggest walkthrough world duty-free store in the world duty-free group. So, good news then for Stansa, definitely for us anyway. As yeah, yeah, that's, as, as our, our major, um, major airport is closest to us really, isn't it? I mean, I must admit, I do prefer Stansted over Luton without, without question. Oh, yes. Yes, um, yes, yes, but, uh, yes. I have to say I'm glad that they finally finished the uh, security expansion though because certainly I don't know if you flew out of it while it was while they were doing the the work um, yeah that I, was uh, June last year yeah, yeah. horrific is, yeah. is the is yeah. the answer to it. I mean I was um, f- commuting regularly to Ireland at the time and uh, I mean you had to allow an extra 45 minutes just to get through security it was taking so long it's um, a relief, I think, really. But um, well, I, I, again, the, the pictures look amazing. I mean, I, I don't ever remember seeing anything look like that at Stansted. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind. Of, it's kind of the pictures are put on their on their site. It, it kind of looks like a like a space age, yeah, sort of um, terminal sort of lounge Sounds that you'd see me. on. That you see on a sort of episode of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Anyway, on to the next story. This is next story. Business Traveller uh, is the website, and the headline is Thai to fly A380 to Heathrow. Thai Airways will operate a daily A380 service between Bangkok and London Heathrow from the 1st of July. The carrier's Super Jumbo is configured in three classes, with 12 seats in Royal First Class, 60 in Royal Silk Executive uh, Class, and Ooh. 435 in Economy. Outbound service TG910 will depart Bangkok... Um, with a name that I can't pronounce, uh, airport at one in the morning and will arrive at Heathrow Terminal 2 around about quarter past seven. Uh, return service TG911 will leave Heathrow at 12.30 and land in Bangkok uh, just before 6am the next day. In October, Thai rostered a B747-400 onto its double daily Bangkok to Heathrow service. Um, and again, uh, great news, yet more expansion. It's it's it's. It, really is a a market that's changing almost every week it seems as we do these it's um mm. it's good news tie is one of those airlines i've always wanted to try right because yeah. they, they they have they have really good reviews as well service yeah. wise for tie yeah it's, so, uh, uh, be... I, it makes me laugh though where you've got the other you know, carriers is configured in three classes 12 seats in royal first class <laughs> royal <laughs> first class what is that that sounds amazing i want some I mean, of that I mean, What's what's Royal Silk class? Uh, I Royal think Silk I think that's what we know class. as business class. I think if we're going to try and sort of speak in English, and then good economy, good old economies yeah. always economy. Good old yeah. good good old cattle class, as I call it. The people that pay for this luxury, let's be honest, is the four hundred and thirty-five people that are crammed in the rear. I mean, honestly. <laughs> I'm only jealous because I can never fly fly by by posh means. I but then I suppose if I'm always choosing airlines like Ryanair, it's hardly a surprise. Uh, <laughs> no, but ah yes, ah. But ah, don't ah. forget, Ryanair yes. do have their business um, business plus ticket thing now, don't they? Yeah, which means you can put you, you can you can choose which seat you can sit in as part <laughs> of your thing. You don't have your own little lounge or anything like that. I mean, it's ah. <laughs> No, never mind. I, it's uh, hey, it's a great way of trans tra- travelling, and it and it's no less comfortable than a train. Let's be honest. So, 
Well, look, <sighs> I intend uh, fully on winning the lottery while I'm out here. Splendid, good. And, yes, you uh, keep that up. When I when I do that, uh, I shall return, and we shall um, yes, we shall just have a a jet set. Holland, uh, tour lovely. of the world yes sounds great to me yes lovely uh, well if you win the lottery Brilliant. while you're out there then perhaps we could do the next show from Lanzarote <laughs> I'll come and see you oh I'll fly you out or you could hurry yeah, up yeah. and you know finish your blooming pilot's licence you know you could do it yourself <laughs> then <laughs> yeah have you got £80,000 spare not lying around no, no I'm afraid no, no. yes yeah. Right. and I like you okay. but I, I ain't going to be robbing no bank for you mate I'm sorry uh, okay. <laughs> we'll do that later right Next story. Yes. Uh, this is this is a uh, one I've been really interested in, and okay. uh, this one is on the Market Watch site. Okay. And it's NetJets Europe flies the first Phenom three hundred into London City Airport. Ah. So, and London. This is on the fifth of February, just a few days ago. NetJets yeah. Europe a Berkshire Hathaway-backed company and the worldwide leader in private aviation announced it had successfully obtained certification to operate its signature series Thenham 300 light aircraft at London City Airport. NetJets has pioneered similar efforts to make long-range travel from the US more convenient. NetJets paved the way for long-range global 6000 aircraft to fly into the heart of the financial district last year. New York to London City has already become a popular route and customers can now go from their desk on Wall Street to closing a business deal in London's Canary Wharf on a global 6,000 in 8.3 hours. Commercial flights, meanwhile, have to stop off at Shannon Airport in Ireland, adding an extra two hours to the flight time. NetJets Europe is the largest private operator at the airport with over 50% of all traffic. In 2014 alone, NetJets connected to 374 destinations across the globe out of the financial heart of London. Over 53% of NetJet European customers' uh, bases come from the London finance sector, with private equity and hedge fund management seeing the most growth over the past 12 months. In 2014, 41% of new business in Europe was generated from the financial industry, demonstrating the recovery taking place within that sector. Mm. So this aircraft, then, Matt, the yeah. Phenom 300, yeah. um, it's uh, made by the company Embraer, right. who also build um, passenger aircraft, actual commercial passenger aircraft, as right. well as light yeah. business jets. Yeah. And... Um, it's it's not cheap. It'll set you back eight point one four million dollars. <laughs> oh wow. Um, there's been quite a few built though. One hundred and seventy seven of these have been built. Yeah. Uh, they're classed as a light business jet, uh, okay. and they can carry um, anywhere or between eight or nine passengers. Oh right. So um, not very big then. Oh no no no. They're quite small. Yeah. Um, but they are. Um, for those of you who, who who look up the aircraft, I mean, you can you can see on uh, Wikipedia, mm. other sites are available. Of course, um, <laughs> the Embraer Phenom three hundred has got quite a luxurious interior, big leather right. seats, oh, um, lovely, yeah. very uh, very flashy interior, not lots of carpet and leather, and uh, it's uh, very 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 nice indeed to see. But, uh, so so uh, so when you win win the lottery, this is how I'm coming to see you for next week's show, is it? <laughs> oh, yes. oh yes, but it does. It, good. The good news is, oh, there goes Twitter. Oh. Uh, the good news is that uh, it does have an onboard toilet. Obviously, it oh, says, what a relief! Uh, so, yes, it's a long old flight without one. Goodness me. Oh yes, it's a two pilot, uh, two pilot aircraft as well. 
and right. powered by two Pratt & Whitney Canada PW535V turbo fans okay. and has a range of uh, 2,268 miles. Blimey. So it must be right on the limit then uh, of... Uh... Mm. Uh, sort of, you know, if it's if it's going to do it from sort of London City Airport to um, to to the states, I mean, it must be uh, sort of more or less on the limit. Then I guess I don't know what the distance it, involved is. No, I don't. We'll have to research that one yeah, and see what will. the distance yeah. is from London to New York. Yeah. But it also has quite a high sea, uh, ceiling altitude as well. Cruise right. altitude, it can, uh, cruise at forty-five thousand feet. Yeah. Um, if you put that into comparison, when we flew from Luton to here, yeah. we cruised at 37,000 yeah. feet. Wow. Uh, this is 45, so it cruises at quite high altitude, this mm. jet, um, which will, it does enable it to go very fast Just and go quickly. Further, yeah. Yes. yeah, no, amazing. So there we go. Yes. And next indeed. story then. Ah, now this is something that you rather like. Uh, I'll let you take the Ooh. lead on this. This is a good old-fashioned top ten. It's a top ten. Yeah, we you do love like the top, top ten. You certainly do. Yes. <laughs> so the top ten this week then on Flight Global's site. This one and yep. it's shrinking jumbos. Top yeah. ten seven four seven four hundred fleets still in service. So, so at, at number ten. So at number ten then we have got Cathay Pacific, the Hong Kong flag carrier. Yeah. Um, they are retiring their 747s uh, to be replaced by these 777-300ERs. And they've got 15 of these still flying. Wow. Number nine. So at number nine, it's the German carrier Lufthansa. Uh, they've got 17 still in service. And uh, they're eventually going to phase out the, uh, the aircraft. Um, but they've had a very strong relationship with the 400 series. And it will continue for quite a few more years as yet before they get rid of the last one. Uh, number eight. So at number eight, then, it's the Russian airline, Transaero Airlines. And uh, they have got 20 of the 400 series 747s. And they were the first Russian carrier to operate the jumbos on the Moscow to Tel Aviv route hmm. and they started with the older 747-200 series uh, in 2005 and more recently they've been replacing the 200s with the new 400s um, some of which will in turn be replaced eventually by the Airbus A380 Ooh, Very nice Number 7 So number 7 then it's uh, a cargo carrier it's Atlas Air and uh, they've got 20 of the 400 series 747s in service and they're a US charter airline that operates passenger and freighter variants of the aircraft it's quite interesting to see actually looking at the picture because um, it, it looks like a, you know a perfectly ordinary um, airline it, you know it looks like a standard uh, four engine sort of jet engine plane um, but it has three windows so you've got the, you've yes, got the usual the window day. at the front and then on the top deck you've just got obviously just three windows where there may be a small selection of staff that have chosen to sit there and the rest is completely solid. It, it looks quite surreal actually. So a majority of these aircraft, Matt, were yeah. originally passenger aircraft converted to freighters. Right, I see. Uh, they, have, they have the windows covered yeah. and the top deck yeah. is generally where there are a few seats. Oh, Sorry plane coming over yeah. in- incoming into yeah. the airport um, <laughs> that just goes to show how close I am to the airport yeah, indeed, um, yes. but yes they have the top deck of this aircraft obviously because the top deck 
on the 747 is behind literally behind the flight deck right. door where the um, where the where the captain and co-pilot yeah. sit so this Gosh. top deck has seating and galley for obviously for when they they have uh, cargo uh, staff on board right. the aircraft yeah. Yeah. Um, because obviously they need somewhere to sit. Oh yeah, so, yeah, um, absolutely. If, yeah. If, if only for landing and, and takeoff, I think they need somewhere yes. to park. Yeah, and then number six. So at number six, it's KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. They have twenty-two of these still in service. It's uh, kind of an all blue uh, color scheme on KLM, so you can't miss them. No. Nope. And uh, they first took their delivery of their four hundred series back in nineteen eighty-nine. Mm. Um, but as I said, they've got 22 of these still in service. Wow. Number five. Number five, then, it's our friends across the pond, United Airlines. Three. And they've got uh, 24 of these aircraft still in uh, in play at the moment. Uh, they plan to remove two of their uh, 400 series from service this year, uh, ahead of heavy maintenance events, rather like uh, the homeowner who sells up and moves just before a boiler needs replacing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, Number four. Uh, so, yeah, at number four, it's Saudi Air uh, Cargo. It's a Saudi Airlines, uh, the flag carrier's fleet uh, of 10 freighters and 16 passenger examples. They've got 26 of those in total, Saudi, um, in a cargo and passenger types. They're very sleek-looking aircraft, actually, aren't they? Oh, do, do you know the, uh, the, the nick or say nickname, the, the other name that's, yeah. that's given, apart from Jumbo? Yeah. Um, the other uh, name is given to this aircraft, Matt? No, no. Queen of the Skies. Ah, uh, right, yes, yes. Uh, no, I can see why, because it looks absolutely... It looks so stylish. It looks mm. really stylish. It's uh, Anyway, number three. Number three, it's China Airlines. Uh, China Airlines have got 29 of these still flying. Uh, the Taiwanese flag carriers, 747-400s, had the distinction of being the first flight from the Republic of China to land legally on the mainland when cross-strait charter flights were finally allowed in 2003. So another big airline there using the 400 series. Now the another picture nice we're looking at here, it obviously ca- takes some people as well It's because it's got quite a oh, yes, yes. quite a row of... Uh, so it's got a top deck as well, sort of similar, yes. similar sort of thing. Anyway, number two. Number two. So number two, it's Korean Air. And they have 31 of the 400 series still in service. Uh, Korean Airlines have been flying the jumbos on European routes since 1973 and has operated the 400 series since the early 1990s. Uh, So a very popular carrier there. Certainly are. And And finally, it's number one. God, we should have a fanfare for this, really. So... Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure. Never <laughs> at, a chore. I'm here all week. At, <laughs> <laughs> at number one, then, British Airways, our very own airline here. Oh, sorry, over there in the UK. <laughs> and British Airways have 43 747 still in active service. Gosh, that's quite a the number, carrier, isn't it? Oh, it is. It yeah. is. The carrier says the type still offers flexibility for ca- uh, capacity management. So if it wants to retain some of uh, some until the newest twin-engine aircraft, such as the A350 and the 777, are available. Uh, as such, the airline is investing in cabin refurbishment programs for the aircraft that will be retained for the longer term. So although BA are phasing out a lot of their 400 series 74s, mm. they are the ones they're keeping until yeah. the... Uh, 
350s and the 777Xs has come along, mm. they are refurbishing and, and putting new um, cabin fittings and interiors in, which is good. Well, they're, they're uh, obviously means, planning to keep it keep that particular airline in service for quite a bit longer, aren't they? I mean, it must, yeah, they must be planning for for at least another sort yeah. of 10 years, I would have thought, yeah. on these aircraft. No, it's all good. Uh, it's all good. It's good. It's good news. Right. So there we go. There's our top 10 then. That is, so yes. Got, and that uh, completes the news for this week then. It certainly does, yes. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we have got some military news yep. uh, to uh, to bring you yep. after our little break. Yeah, cool. And uh, you, also, you, need, forget, you, you presumably need to go and recharge your beer glass. Yes, I need to go and recharge my beer glass. <laughs> and... Uh, Without waking because the wife has fell asleep. Fell oh, right. I'm not surprised. Is she, oh, she's listening she's to this, is she? <laughs> That's why she's nodded off. How, how very dare you? Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we, we are going to have a quick break, and yeah. we've also got Pip's segment as well oh, yes. to come. Yeah. Uh, in the show later on yeah. as well. Um, I'm going to go so, make myself a hot chocolate because uh, it, yes. it's cold and unpleasant here, so <laughs> and I need cheering up. <laughs> oh dear, I think I've got, yeah. I have to go and put my vest on. It's a bit bit hot here. Yes, man. all right. Yeah, I think it's time for a break now before I actually come over there and punch you. It's uh, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll call it. We'll be back in a moment. We're just going to have a quick yes. break. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Oh, blooming air up, up a bit. Blimey. I tell you, I've been used to that noise over the last few days. I'm, Have I'm, you? I'm enjoying that. Yeah. Definitely. I bet you are. Yeah. Ah, right. Oh, okay. Yes. So, we've got some military aviation news, haven't we, to go, we to have, go with? We have. Yes. Yeah, four stories. And uh, we have. And we've also, don't forget, we've got Pip's bits coming up later as well. Yes. We? So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so if you're ready, shall then. we crack on with some military aviation news? Let's do it. So, kicking off this week's uh, military aviation news, then, we've got a story from Flight Global. Uh, Embraer KC-390 tanker makes its maiden flight. Uh, this is an aircraft we featured a few episodes ago, don't we, Matt? Uh, this particular aircraft. 
whilst he takes a sip of his, yes. his, <laughs> Sorry his chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so the KC390 Embraer's clean sheet aerial refueling tanker flew for the first time on the 3rd of February from an airfield in San Jose dos Campos, Brazil. The KC-390's one-hour, 25-minute flight consisted of manoeuvres to assess flight characteristics and system tests, including the aircraft's fly-by-wire controls, Embraer says. The KC-390 behaved in a docile and predictable manner, test pilot Mazort Luzada says in a statement. The advanced system of fly-by-wire controls and the latest generation avionics facilitate piloting and provide smooth and accurate flight. Embraer Chief Executive Federico Flure Corrado says the development of the KC-390 is most likely the greatest technological challenge that the company has faced in its history. The tanker transport aircraft was designed and built from scratch by Embraer in cooperation with the Brazilian Air Force, which has gone all, uh, all in on the aircraft, becoming the backbone of its airlifter fleet. Company officials are marketing the KC-390 as a successor, if not an upgrade, to the Lockheed C-130. But the International Air Engine's V2500-powered KC-390 must prove in test flight that a jet is capable of matching the versatility of the C-130, among other promises Embraer has made of the aircraft. It's only the second application of the IAE V2500 engine, aside from the Airbus A320. Changes to the engines were made especially for the KC390 to optimize installation on the airframe, according to IAE. Now, this aircraft, Matt, we've got mm. we featured a few episodes ago, is kind of a it's kind of a mini kind of a mini Hercules. Right. Um, transport aircraft, but uh, Produced by Embraer, it's got. It looks. I think we said before on, when we focused on this aircraft before on the show that the uh, yeah. the front cockpit area of the aircraft looks very similar to to the passenger Embraer, the one seven fives and one seventies, the ERJs, um, with just a transport back end and right. with the high with the high wing as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's actually on the top of the body rather than sort yes. of underneath yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but these these aircraft, as you say, they're, they're in tests, and uh, and well, they look they look quite good. I hope we see some at, uh, at some of the air shows this year. They're hopefully. quite an interesting looking plane, as you say, aren't they? Because they're they're sort of I don't know. I kind of expected them to be sort of longer, but it's sort of short and fat, isn't it? It's mm, uh, yeah. sort of a, a stumpy thing. It looks great from the back, though. Right. So moving on to our next story. Yeah. The... Okay. This is uh, Flight Global again, and Malaysia's first A400M gets airborne. Malaysia's first A400M tactical transport has made its flight debut with the Airbus Defence and Space Type having completed a 90-minute sortie, sortie from Seville, Spain on the 30th of January. Uh, the first of four uh, Atlas air lifters on order for the Royal Malaysian Air Force aircraft MSN-22 is also uh, the 16th production example of the A400M from a 174 unit order book to four eight different nations. Airbus has previously outlined a schedule to deliver the Kuala Lumpur's lead example by the end of the first quarter of this year with the aircraft to be operated by the Air Force 22nd Squadron. 
Airbus on the 29th of January launched a major restructuring of its A400M programme leadership after struggling to keep to its contractual schedule for introducing additional military capabilities to the type. Ten of the aircraft are currently in service in France. Six, Germany one, Turkey two and the UK has one also and being used to support personnel uh, training activities as well as for transporting some equipment. Belgium, Luxembourg and Spain are also customers for the Europrop International TP400-D6 engine transport which can carry a maximum useful load of 32 tonne. That's quite a number, isn't it? 32 tonne. Yeah, uh, this, I, this aircraft is so popular. Yeah. This, this the, A4, the 400M. I, I say this every time we read an article like that, though. You just think, how on earth do they get... Never mind the plane in the air. I mean, you sort of... Uh, the plane plus an additional 32 tonne. It's just crazy, isn't it? Ah, oh, That's why aviation is such an amazing thing, isn't it? Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. And yeah. like I said, this like I said, this aircraft is is getting to be really popular with so many different air forces around the world. You know, and this this story, you know, this is Malaysia, you know, the mm. aircraft this is an aircraft that the Airbus make and produce. Yeah. You know, um it's a European aircraft being purchased and, and yeah. flown by air you know, air forces all around the world. Not yeah, just in around, the, around the Europe. Yeah. No, it's incredible. So it, it must. Uh, it's, it's doing well for Airbus anyway. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, they're on to something, I think, aren't they? <laughs> Next story: Flight Global and yep. USAF speeds up development of new air-launched cruise missile. The US Air Force has both accelerated development of its long-range standoff weapon, LRSO, and dramatically increased funding to the program over the next five years. LRSO or long-range standoff weapon seeks a nuclear-capable replacement for the Boeing's AGM-86 air-launched cruise missiles, or ALCM for short, carried by the Boeing B-52 and Northrop Grumman B-2 bombers. Since 2012, four companies have been working on trade studies for the LRSO design. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman and Raytheon. The program had been geared up for release to, uh, uh, up to release a request for proposals in the first half of 2017 but the fiscal 2016 budget request moves up the start date in the fourth quarter this year a technology maturation and a risk reduction contract award is now expected by the end of 2016 LRSO netted $36 million in the fiscal 2016 year but that figure increases exponentially to a peak of $650 million in the fiscal year of 2019 or 2019. Just short of $5 million was allocated to the program in the current fiscal year and the program was set to top out at $144 million in the 2019 fiscal year in that spending plan. God, that's a massive amount of money that's been yeah. put in to develop this, this, you know, this new air-launched cruise missile. I mean, well, it, you kind of you kind of have to ask, you know, mm. where where do we need? I mean, obviously, you know, we have to have this kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, where 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 do we need to to have this? Then, you know, I think in most cases it isn't actually so much of of necessarily needing it. It's more showing the rest of the world that you have one. I think, isn't it? It's. Uh, Sort of saying, leave us alone. Our weapons are bigger than yours. I think that's that, that, that's all they're trying to say, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, 
Uh, well, I mean, if the US want to do it, then that's fine. I mean, I, I, hopefully uh, they'll be the first people we call if, if, if we should ever need a weapon like that. So, uh, yes, yeah, good, good luck to them. Let them spend all their money on, on, on defending the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, so the last okay. story then yep. for our military segment. Yes, indeed. And this one, once again, is Flight Global. And the headline, Israeli paratroops make first jump from the C-130J aircraft. So Lockheed Martin's C-130J tactical transport is being further integrated into the Israeli Defence Force's new depth command capabilities, with one of the service's uh, examples having conducted a first paratroop drop during an exercise on the 4th of February. The parachute training was conducted near Palchamin Air Base in in central Israel. Uh, 30 cadets from the parachuting instruction course of the Flight and Special Training Centre, the FSTC, jumped from the C-130J Samson. The ability to parachute troops is crucial uh, to the c Dash 130J. This training marks an important milestone in the process of preparing the plane for operational missions. The commander of the type's home base uh, in Nevatim and identified only as Brigadier General Lihu told the Israeli Air Force website. Israelis, uh, Israel's older fleet of the C-130E H transports can each be used to deploy a maximum of 54 paratroops but the stretched fuselage of the C-130J-30 has capability for 86 the availability of a paratroop cap- the, the availability of a para para drop cable that's quite a mouthful para have you drop. been drinking have you been drinking the beer from from over no, here no 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 they may there may be okay. there may be something other than other than hot chocolate in my hot chocolate um but <laughs> we, the, so we'll try that again the availability of okay. a para drop capability is the latest addition to the air force's expanding roles for the c-130j last november the service performed its long its first long distance flight with the type in the skies of romania bulgaria and Greece. The sortie also enabled it to test some of the additional systems integrated with the type for Israeli use. Flight Global's Ascend Fleet's database records the Israeli Air Force as having so far received two of the four C-130Js on firm order. It also has options and letters of interest in place to acquire another five of this particular type. Um, yeah, great, great. Uh, it's got, it's, it's looking, it looks like an old aircraft. Do you know what I mean? It's got a real sort of almost World War Two feel about it, although I'm sure it's far yeah, better it, equipped I mean, than that. The, the 130J is a, it's a hugely popular. Yeah. Um, and the Hercules is a hugely popular aircraft yes, anyway. Yeah, the yeah. J, the J being obviously the latest current version of the yeah. uh, Hercules. I mean, the Hercules has been about since nine. To, oh blimey. Uh, off the top, I can't try to jump. I'm looking. It's here, basically been about it. since God was a boy. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> it's been about for a long, but the J series has yeah. uh, been um, been flying since yeah. 1996. Gosh, first flew in 1996. Yeah, um, but obviously with it's, it's had upgrade. I mean, since its birth, the Hercules has had upgraded engines, avionics, and everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a fantastic aircraft. I've seen a quite. I mean, at Riyadh last year, we saw yeah. loads of these aircraft parked yeah. up at Riyadh from the various different air uh, air forces over from Europe. And cool. uh, no, it it's uh, another yet yeah, another popular aircraft. You yeah. know, the A four hundred M Airbus's sort of uh, baby. 
and uh, the C-130J is Lockheed Martin's um, baby, so no, yeah. it's good. Very much in service then for, for many years to come, by the sound of it. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's the <sighs> end of the military news section. So um, shall we take yes. a listen at, uh, at uh, Pip's uh, uh, insert that he sent us today? Shall we have a listen to that? Yes, Pip very kindly sent us a segment for the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, well, as we explained about earlier, it's regarding the latest uh, happenings in the news. Yeah. So we're going to play that segment for you now. And now. It's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, Pilot Pip here. Now I'm sure many of you or most of you saw those incredible and terrifying video images of the TransAsia ATR that crashed in Taiwan a few days ago shortly after takeoff. So I thought following that I'd just do this segment and explain briefly the general procedures that we follow if we have an engine failure on takeoff. Now, what I will say, engine failures are really incredibly rare. They just don't happen. Um, I've never had one. I've had to shut an engine down once for as a precaution, but I've never had an engine really fail. Now, obviously, they, an engine can fail at any point during the flight it was going to, but when we go to the sim and when we've trained for these things, we always train for an engine failure at the most critical part of the flight which actually is during the takeoff roll at or just after a speed we call V1 which is our takeoff decision speed if we have a problem an engine failure or anything else before V1 uh, the performance is calculated as such so that we can stop safely on the runway at any point up to and before V1 if we have a problem at or after V1 then the aircraft should have sufficient performance to continue the takeoff and climb safely away. In fact, this is a basic certification requirement of any transport category aircraft that it can, following an engine failure at the most critical point at V1, continue a takeoff at maximum weight and climb safely away. So I'll just describe uh, the general sort of procedure that we might follow. Now, of course, uh, specific aircraft types and specific situations different airports may dictate that you you follow a slightly different procedure but as a general rule this is what we train for and this is what we would do in the event of an engine failure so picture this we're in our aircraft we're barreling down the runway we get to our v1 speed and we just passed it in fact and an engine fails what are we going to do well generally it should be pretty obvious that an engine has failed and this becomes important when we look at the trans asia crash now you could look at your instruments and you you may or may not see a very clear indication there of which engine has failed but you should feel which engine has failed it should become immediately apparent which engine has failed you can feel it through your feet and there's an old saying in aviation or an old sort of adage or an old uh, lesson which is drummed in right from the very beginning and it's this dead leg dead engine and what that means is let's pretend that the right engine has failed so the left engine is still producing full thrust. The engine, the right engine's winding down is not producing any thrust. So the effect of that would be the left engine producing full power will want to make the aircraft turn to the right. The nose of the aircraft will start yawing to the right because of all the thrust coming from the left engine. So to counteract that, what you're going to have to do is apply a force, a big force in fact, on the rudder through the rudder pedals with your foot onto the left rudder. So you're going to push down very hard with your left foot to stop that aircraft turning to the right. So you're pushing very hard with your left and your right leg won't be doing anything. That's the dead leg. 
So dead leg, the right leg, equals the dead engine, the right engine. So it should become obvious straight away which engine has failed. And that's that's a foolproof method, really, of, of establishing the failed engine. Of course, then you can back it up before you take any critical actions. You can look at the instruments. You can see that the oil pressure perhaps is dropped and the temperatures, the ITT, the N2s, etc., are dropping on the right-hand side. So engine failure just past V1 should be pretty obvious which engine has failed. But we're past V1, so we're going to continue the takeoff. So we let the aircraft accelerate to rotation speed, which will typically be only a few knots above V1. And we'll then rotate the aircraft. And then we're going to climb. We're going to let the aircraft accelerate and climb at a speed we call V2. Now, the exact definition of V2 is, is uh, fairly in-depth, but all you need to know is what V2 is is a, a minimum safety speed. So it's a minimum speed that we're going to fly initially the aircraft at to climb away from the ground. Because at this stage of the game, following an engine failure, what's important now is to get some altitude, to get away from the ground. At this point, the ground is our enemy. We want to get safely up into the air. So we're going to let the aircraft accelerate to this V2 and we're going to climb to a minimum uh, safe height. And we're not going to really do much else. The only things we're going to do perhaps is to raise the gear. That's important because the gear is creating a, a lot of drag. So we want to get the gear away. And perhaps we might silence any of those annoying alarm bells that are, are ringing in the cockpit. But other than that, we're not going to do much. We're going to let the aircraft climb now at V2, maybe V2 plus 5, perhaps even V2 plus 10 knots, up to what we call an acceleration altitude. Now, as a minimum, that will be 400 feet above the ground. But typically, in most airlines and in my airline, we actually use 1,000 feet above the ground for our acceleration altitude. So we're going to climb straight ahead until we reach our acceleration altitude, typically 1,000 feet. And then we're going to start doing some stuff. So we're going to level at our acceleration altitude. And we're going to let the aircraft accelerate. And as we go through our minimum flap retraction speed, we're going to clean up the aircraft. So we're going to take the flaps up. And we're going to let the aircraft accelerate to our V on route speed or V on route climb speed, which is our best rate of climb. So as the aircraft accelerates, reaches that speed, we'll then start to climb the aircraft again. And at this point, we'll start to get out our checklist books and start to go through all the, the necessary items of secure, identifying and securing the dead engine. And once we've done that, we'll then start talking to each other and we'll come up with a plan of action. And perhaps we'll start talking to the passengers or the, the cabin crew and, keep, and get them in the loop. Now, if we happen to be flying a turboprop aircraft, as the ATR was, there's one other additional item that needs to be done pretty early on with the gear, really, when we bring the gear up following the engine failure, is just to check that the propeller has feathered. And what this means, uh, as the propeller is rotating, it also has the ability to rotate on its longitudinal axis. So when it's producing thrust, it's kind of eating through the air at quite a, a shallow angle. But when the engine dies, well, all it's doing then is creating drag. So what we need to do is make sure the propeller is feathered. And that just means turning the propeller through around 90 degrees. So it's um, sort of flush with the airflow, if you like. It's producing the most aerodynamic, thinnest edge to the air to produce the least amount of drag. And most turboprop transport aircraft have a, an auto feather capability it will automatically feather when it senses the the thrust drops below a, a certain level and if it doesn't auto feather then it's just a matter of pulling a lever one of the thrust levers into the feather position that becomes important when we look at the air asia crash 
Now, the other thing that we're doing when we're practicing these engine failure procedures and when we do it for real is generally, as a rule, we're going to climb straight ahead. So we have the engine failure and we're just going to continue on the runway heading straight ahead because any turns are going to increase the drag on the aircraft and they're going to reduce the rate of climb. And as I say, what we want to do is get away from the ground. So generally, we're going to go straight ahead. Of course, the situation may dictate that that's not possible. There might be a, a blooming great mountain, perhaps, at the end of the runway. So obviously, in that case, you're going to have to turn. And many airports, particularly mountainous terrains, uh, have uh, specifically designed escape routes. The company will come up with a, a, an escape route that can ensure that you can climb out of a, a high terrain situation. So it's not always as simple as climbing straight ahead, but as a general rule, that's what we do. And I think looking at the Trans-Asia crash, that's what I would have expected there as well. But interesting, if you look at the, the flight radar tracks, actually what happened was something quite different. And obviously there's an investigation still to be conducted, but I, th I think, if I had to guess, it looks like the crew unfortunately did not do the best job of managing this engine failure uh, now if you look at the flight tracks what actually happened they almost immediately after they took off they veered off to the right through something like 60 or 70 degrees so they went off to the right and then they turned again to the left before uh, crashing into this river which is a little strange that they turned to the right because the initial reports said that the left engine had failed so if the left engine had failed that means the the right engine would have wanted to turn the aircraft to the left. So that struck me as a little bit odd initially that they turned to the right. I couldn't quite reconcile that one with a left engine failure. But, as it turns out, following some of the information that was released yesterday, it seems that it wasn't the left engine that failed at all. It was actually the right engine that failed, which ties in nicely with why the aircraft turned to the right. But, for some unknown reason, the crew shut down the left engine so it seems like at this early stage of the investigation that they actually shut down the wrong engine which is uh, that's a pretty bad thing to do so you've, you've got a failed engine and you've shut down the good one so there's only one way the aircraft is going and it's, it's not up now of course this is not the first time the wrong engine has been shut down you may remember back in the oh, was it the early 80s or late 70s perhaps the Kegworth uh, air disaster at British Airways 737 I think it was um, managed to shut down the wrong engine following a problem on, on approach to East Midlands Airport. So it can happen, but it's a bit of a mystery to me uh, why it happened in this case. So anyway, that's a very quick look at how we might deal with a, a typical engine failure. But do take this away from it. Engine failures are rare, and when they do happen, there is every chance that the aircraft will fly away safely. Every aircraft is designed to be able to safely operate on one engine, and every aircraft can safely operate on one engine if the procedures are followed correctly. So that's it from me. Uh, back to Matt in the studio and Carlos on the beach. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. <laughs> Pit. Pip mentioned us, you see. Look, now I feel privileged now, you see. Absolutely. Good Quite bless right. him. Thank, thank you for that, Pip. As yeah, always, much, a fantastic segment and cool, yeah. uh, very much appreciated. Well, and right Pip, on uh, message Pip, today as well, yeah. Yes, yeah, he sent it in at exactly the right time. We literally mm. got that just before we started to record. 
board. So uh, yeah. no, thanks so much for that, Pip. He does because he, he's a busy man. He does, he is, uh, yeah. you know, he does his own. He does his own podcast. He flies around the world yeah. near enough, yeah. and uh, yeah, he still finds time to record a segment for the show. So which we're eternally grateful for. Um, and actually, no, I mean, appreciate that. stories uh, like what have been, you know, obviously we touched on at the start of the show, um, like this. I mean, for people yeah. like like uh, you, obviously just learning to fly, but especially for people like Pip who are doing this for a living. I mean when you see stories like this your heart must sink i mean honestly i can't imagine what it's like if you're having to sort of you know fly these things day in day out and and, and that so it's uh hats off to you yeah. all frankly as a humble coach driver hats off to you all <laughs> <laughs> so we have got um we had a, an email we did. Um, earlier this week from a certain young chat that we had on our show not so long ago didn't we indeed yes yes the lovely mark maiden he sent us an email uh with regard because the, the story we were covering was uh a, we mentioned an airport that neither me or carlos had uh, sort of heard of before and i'll just read it to you and the subject is actually waterford airport and it says uh, hi guys heard you were talking about waterford airport in a show recently and could tell it was a new one for you ryanair performed their first flights to gatwick from there back in 1985 it's about a hundred 170 kilometres from Dublin but uh, no doubt knowing Ryanair it was advertised as being Gatwick to Dublin uh, still loving the show take care Mark so there we are because uh, as I said I'd certainly never heard of it and uh, I think you were actually rather unusually in the same boat as me for a change <laughs> yes very much so yeah it, it's, it's it's nice when we get feedback like that yeah absolutely especially from uh, pe- people who know vastly more than we do <laughs> well, indeed absolutely and that's what makes this show yes. great really is just uh, you know we rely very heavily on customer feedback so feedback so please by all means keep it coming in uh, it makes yes, sure that we're covering the stories that you want to hear yeah absolutely well yeah. i think i think that's more or less it isn't it carlos that is yeah we're going to bring episode number 48 to a close Absolutely. of the plain talking uk podcast we better let you so go back to the you... beach i think <laughs> oh i you don't forget you can uh, you can contact us via our website at www.plaintalkinguk.com plain spelled p-l-a-n-e yeah. and you can also find us on facebook you can uh, like us on facebook and follow us on twitter so there we go send us some feedback and uh, we'll mention you in the show yeah do, do. so that's okay. it then Matt We're it gonna, is uh, yes part company now until uh, shall we record another show next Saturday yeah I think we should I think we should live from like Lanzarote a... yeah yeah more more in it for you there than me I fear um, <laughs> but uh, anyway yes all part of the fun no it's been it's been great fun Carlos it's been great to chat no, to you it's always and, good to catch uh, up it's always good to catch up absolutely yeah. so uh, until next week then it's uh, it's goodbye from me here in the humble studio in boring old Beckles just or Whirlingham actually uh, on a very wet and rainy uh, and now chilly conservatory studio and from me, Carlos, here in Lanzarote, it's a quite nice blue sky and uh, summery holiday goodbye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>